1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. At this time, we ask that you turn off all cell phones. Unless, of course, you're using them to listen to this podcast, in which case, please keep it on. And please refrain from any flash photography as it is dangerous to the performers of this podcast. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Don't you see? It's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap, a lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, End this episode and head to Times Square.
2: Times Square—that'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times Square. Oh, oh, oh ye
1: of little faith! Ah!
2: <laughs> Welcome. It's not negative ten degrees outside. Today. It's amazing. It is beautiful
1: today. It is in the sixties finally. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, because I was talking with my employer about this, too, because he and I are of a, of the same mind yeah. as well. We both really like winter me and too. we love fall. Yes, yeah, and Ebony as well. Yeah. We just don't want it to last for more than it's time. <laughs> Especially because, like, I mean, I'm with a toddler all day and yeah. it's imp- like I can't take him to the playground or the park right. when it's too cold out because right. I don't like to be out there. But also he's like a little pint size. So yeah. to keep him safe. But. Now it's 60s. It's beautiful. And of course, my allergies are in full bloom.
2: (laughs) I had some like, I had, we both had sinus issues like the Mm -hmm. same week. Yours were worse than mine. But then I got, man, I was messed up. Oh, no. Like everything was messed up. Then I had like a migraine for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Because as we were leaving Hello Dolly. Yeah. Like, literally, we're walking to the subway, and my migraine started. Right oh, then. And I was like, yeah. I'm real glad we're on our way home now.
1: <laughs> that's And that's kind of what I dealt with in the last part of mine as well. It was mm-hmm. like that weird kind of behind the eyes for me yeah. migraine, like a low grade this time. But it was not fun. Mm-hmm. wasn't pleasant. I even mentioned it to my chiropractor because I wasn't sure if, if it was something that was muscle related. Right. And he said, I, I think it's really just allergies. Yeah. And so I was like, well, all right, <laughs> there's my answer. <laughs> so uh, you've stumbled upon Theater Geeks Anonymous, <laughs> the show where we talk about Broadway flops, scandals, and new works.
2: Who fails, who sues, we tell their story. I'm Ebony. I'm
1: Pamela. We never say that. I always forget, and you we'll yeah. al- mention it, but it's like inter- inter- intermittently. I was yeah. gonna say interspittently. <laughs> <laughs> yay we're off to a great start (laughs) yes i'm pamela (laughs) and what you hear chewing in the background are sweet pea puddle and two little doggy visitors that i've got over here named ralph and rusty chewing on fish skins because they are disgusting but they're supposed to be really good for teeth Mm -hmm. and also my dogs love them and they take forever a long, very long time for them to actually chew through. Right. So. so we
2: get some quiet time. Some
1: blessed silence.
2: It does smell like a dirty fish tank.
1: It's really gross. But I've got my purification, like not my purification, but my, um, I've got orange and peppermint essential oil mm-hmm. going through the diffuser right now. So hopefully it won't smell like that for a long time.
2: Which one is this little buddy on my lap?
1: That's Ralphie. <laughs> wow. Ralphie, like a I call him story. Ralphie, okay. but his I name is was was just about Ralph. To
2: love it even more.
1: <laughs> Super cute. I think so too. They're little poodles, and I gave them little haircuts, and they're adorable. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm pulling up. I forgot to pull up the actual episode that I'm going to be doing today. <laughs> but if you're all very excited, and I'm sure that you are, it will excite you to know that I'm going to be doing the show Rags. <laughs> Isn't this where fun? Why are
2: you in this question mark? No,
1: I do have a story though. Cuz I feel
2: like you told mm-hmm. me the story and that's why I was like you yeah. do rags, I'll do that. I know other I was show. so happy that yeah. you did.
1: Uh, so yes.
2: Can't go
1: up I had Children of the Wind from Rags in my audition book for the longest time. And so when I was look I had just okay. Uh, where should I start the story? <laughs> Got to sit down, Ralphie. I had Children of the Wind from
2: Rags. (laughs) Sit. Sit.
1: Sit down, buddy. He might not, but he'll be okay. Um, I had Children of the Wind from Rags in my audition book for a while. And... I had just finished like a build a book workshop, quote unquote, that was the name of it with a cast, or not a casting or musical director in the Chicago area where I was living at the time. Uh, and he offered us all because we took the class for his first class. He offered us all a free vocal coaching. And so I looked on the audition schedule and I saw that they were looking for uh, Phantom of the Opera, uh, the tour, and they were looking to audition for that in Chicago. And so I went to my vocal coaching with that in mind, not because I thought that I had any chance at all of of getting into Phantom of the Opera, but because I had heard that Tara Rubin casting was also doing a non-equity tour of Les Mis and I was non-equity at the time. Mm -hmm. So I went in uh, to the vocal coaching with Children of the Wind because I was Mm -hmm. like, that might be the best because he goes, you know, what do you think you'd be going in for? And I said, well, I mean, look, if, I was going in for the show and if I was booked, Mm -hmm. it would be with a Carlotta cover in the ensemble. Mm -hmm. And he goes, okay, so what do you want to sing? And I said, well, I think Children of the Wind from Rags might be the best uh, song for the job. And he goes, yeah, I think you're right. It's very, it's mature. You can sing it operatically. It's got a lovely little B flat on the end. Mm -hmm. Except what he did was he like, he goes, oh, give me just a second. And he. Tooled around on his um, piano for a second. And then he said, okay, instead of singing the end like that, sing it like this. And so we sang it through. And he goes, well, there you go. There's your high E flat. And I literally was like, what? (laughs) Because I don't think I, at that point, had ever sung anything above a C. So it was kind of a miracle. But that's my Children of the Wind story. But I love this show. I had this CD when I was still in high school. Uh but like the later years of high school and I I love it so much. Judy Kuhn, I believe, might be one of my favorite yeah. voices.
2: Yeah.
1: It's so pure and so good. And what I love about Steven Schwartz specifically, who mm-hmm. composed this, he writes so well for the voice, especially for the female voice. Mm-hmm. So singing his Music, you can act so easily because it all feels very natural. It feels very vocal. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Anywho, so should we talk about rags now?
2: Let's talk about rags. I'm sorry. (laughs) The dog's trying to get up. On to the table where all of our equipment is.
1: I did tell you that as soon as you (laughs) pet him, he was not going to leave you alone. (laughs) It's
2: just fine, but I'm just like you can't be on the computer. I know he's fine here on my lap, but just not. He's a sweetheart. He really is.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) Rags is a musical with a book by Joseph Stein, lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, and music by Charles Strauss. I'm sorry, I was wrong. He just wrote the lyrics. Charles Strauss did the composition. But I'm sure it all kind of played together. Anyway, I still love him. (laughs) Uh, Part of the production history is actually kind of interesting. The uh, Broadway production...
2: He just came over and like shook on you and then came he back. He shook here.
1: his collar directly in my microphone and then walked back to Ebony. What in the world? <laughs> what a booty. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the Broadway production opened on August 21st of 1986 at the Mark Hellinger theater with little advance sale and to mostly indifferent reviews. It closed after only four performances and 18 previews. Uh, it was directed by Jean Sachs and choreographed by Ron field. And the cast included Teresa Stratus as Rebecca Hershkovitz. And this is a kind of an interesting side note about Teresa. She was, a retired Canadian operatic soprano mm-hmm. or, or is a retired. She wasn't retired at the time, obviously. Did I just rile them up with fish skin? I,
2: I mean, he's Rusty being never same. acts like that. He's being the same as he was when I was, when I first walked in. I mean, <laughs> this is what I know, but like, but he wasn't like this before. I think it's just, visitors. <laughs> Um buddy. Hey. Okay. And this Maybe is he's an, chill now.
1: I know, I hope so. <laughs> this is an interesting side note about Teresa. Okay. She is a now a retired Canadian operatic soprano, but at the time obviously wasn't retired. Right. She is especially well known for her award-winning recording of Albon Berg's Lulu. Do you remember when I talked about yes! Lulu? Yes. Lulu was
2: Wait, isn't the- that what Carrie yes. was, Oh my. <laughs>
1: Lulu was the opera Holy that inspired the the writers of Carrie opera. the musical. It's it is terrifying. It's not like a great... it's it's very dark. Yeah. It's very Brecht. <laughs> Awesome I just thought I was like, Lulu, are you kidding it me? How comes funny? Back it always does. Uh, also in the cast were Larry Kurt as Nathan Hershkowitz, Lonnie Price as Ben, oh, Judy Kuhn <laughs> as Bella Cohen, Dick Latessa as Avram Cohen, uh, Marcia Lewis as Rachel Halpern, and Terence Mann as Saul. Oh. <laughs> Because you know how Double much I love him, of,
2: t- of Terrence Mann. I think, it was last yeah. week we recorded. Well, it was last
1: week that we recorded it. But by yeah. the time this airs, it'll be a few weeks ago that we yeah. that well that I gushed over <laughs> Terrence Mann and my absolute love of him <laughs> of all things Terrence Mann. We were
2: talking about Jerry Springer, Jerry
1: Springer the Opera, which yeah. he is in right now as the title role. But he's done a million things. He was the original Javert in La, uh, Les Mis. He was the original Rum Tum Tugger in Cats. He did, obviously, Rags. He's done so much stuff. And he's uh, Scarlet Pimpernel as yeah. Chauvelin. He's just amazing. Pippin. Although that was the revival. Yeah, but, like, he's done heart. all of these. Uh, he's just really amazing. And I love him. Ah. Anywho. Sweep, he does, too. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, and Terrence Manessaw, who was a union organizer. Despite the show's failure, it garnered a good deal of attention during the awards season, and it received several Tony Award nominations for Best Musical, among others. And I'll list them, actually. I've got the list later on okay. in this uh, in my notes, so mm-hmm. I'll list those all. There's a, quite a lot of them, and some Drama Desk Awards as well. Okay. In 1991, uh, the show had closed, like I said, in August of 86. So in 1991, Sony actually released a studio recording of the score. And it featured most of the original cast, including Judy Kuhn and Terrence Mann. Mm-hmm. Um, but the or- original Teresa Stratus was replaced by a woman named Julia McGuinness, who was also an opera singer at the time. Um, the score itself isn't... Operatic, except for the things that uh, Rebecca Hershkowitz sings. And the, okay. that is who Teresa and Julia played. Um, the creators... So there were a few revised versions, Mm -hmm. and I've got a little synopsis. This comes from Wikipedia mostly. Um, The creators had reunited to present a dramatically written and severely streamlined production at the American Jewish Theater in New York City, which opened on December 2nd of 1991. That was directed by Richard Sabellico, and I have to tell you another side note, okay. because I recognized that name as a guy that I took vocal lessons with when I first moved to New York, oh, wow. and I had no idea. <laughs> so that was cool. That's crazy. This particular version that they did there had nine actors playing all of the roles and had a very reduced set with just two push carts on stage and an imaginary window that the actors would be describing the exterior activity out of. Um, the young immigrant mother Rebecca has a best friend of almost equal importance, and I believe that's Rachel. And the story is now told by David, who is the young son of Rebecca. Okay. The Colony Theater Company in Los Angeles, California presented Rags in 1993. They had re-sho- reworked the show again, staging it first at Florida's Coconut Grove Playhouse in February of ni- uh, February of 99. Oh, I'm sorry. That was a separate paragraph. Oh. So they did it in Los Angeles in 93. And then they reworked it again in 99 to play at Florida's Coconut Grove Playhouse. And then again, uh, and that was February. And then again in November of 99 at Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. The revised version, I think actually that might be... When I got the original cast recording, it wouldn't have been because of Paper Mill, but I believe like that would have been the time period. Okay. So maybe it was just like re-released or something like that mm-hmm. and it was available again. Because we didn't always have the best of of soundtrack options in Bloomington, yeah. Illinois.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yep, uh, I can imagine. Yeah,
1: <laughs> The revised version cut the cast to 15 now uh, from the original cast, which was 30. And according to Charles Strauss, or Grandpa Charlie, as Ebony likes to refer to him, (laughs) we tried to do too much, and now it's tightened and more focused. People got lost in it. Uh, The diffuse, scattered story now centers on Rebecca Hershkovitz, a young immigrant mother who escapes to the Lower East Side. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry. It's a long um, quote, and it's not entirely necessary to read it all just because it's kind of a rehash of the synopsis, which I'll tell you in just a second. Mm -hmm. But basically he says that he just really likes the new reworking because at first it was a very kind of diffuse and scattered, Uh, sight line, but now they've really focused it down to what really is necessary to tell the story. Okay. And that was one of the things that I think that they had mentioned in the reviews at the time was that, you know, it's a lovely show and it's got good performers, but you just can't really tell what's being told, what the story is or what's important. Okay. And I think that is really important to 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 having a good story
2: well, yeah, cause or
1: a good show rather who,
2: how can you you can't follow yeah. what's happening it's like um what was it Lestat mm-hmm. where it was just like convoluted and nobody yeah. like we couldn't even find a synopsis because no one really understood what it was about. and that's exactly
1: right you're ex- yes and that's exactly what it was <laughs> I mean and t- try to reading through the synopsis Uh, in this story as well I was like okay which one is the better one what can I cut down (laughs) Um, so in 2006 Schwartz Stein and Strauss collaborated on the world AIDS day concert version of the musical celebrating the 20th anniversary of the show's Broadway opening The concert was at Times Square Nokia Theater and featured Carolee Carmelo. Love her. Greg Edelman, Eden Espinoza, Lainey Kazan, and Michael Rupert. It's really good. I know. Really good cast. I mean, you can get really good people if it's just a one night only benefit. Right. The Goodspeed Opera House presented an extensive revisal of the show in 2017. I actually had a friend Re- in that.
2: Re- revisal? Uh-huh. Oh, okay.
1: Um, meaning they reworked right. the show again, yet again.
2: What?
1: What? Uh, my friend Sean played Saul, which was the Terrence Mann role in that show. Uh, but it started previews on October 6th and opened October 25th and then closed on December 10th. So that was just last year. Mm-hmm. The musical has a new book by David Thompson several new songs by Schwartz and Strauss and starred Samantha Massell as Rebe- Rebecca Hershkowitz. Entirely reimagined, this new rags has a new plot and new characters and is directed by Rob Ruggiero, <laughs> the BroadwayWorld.com reviewer wrote. Oh, let me write. Let me see. Okay, that. I was like, because were... the way I read it, Rob Rugiero was the BroadwayWorld.com, and that's okay. not the case. Okay. There is a period there.
2: Okay, okay. So,
1: the BroadwayWorld.com reviewer wrote, "Quote: They or Godspeed."
2: Good speed. <laughs> it's good speed. We knew what you meant. It's like Myla Jala. Oh my god. We're fine. <laughs> We're
1: fine. I don't know what it is. It's because I'm so focused on what the dogs are doing right now (laughs) that I cannot keep my focus on what's written in front of me. Okay, let's try that one more time. The BroadwayWorld.com reviewer wrote, they, or Goodspeed, <laughs> have taken a show that many had written off as simply one of those shows that just didn't work. And they pulled it apart and they put it together as a fresh, vibrant, timely, and important story. I fully expect that this will become the definitive selling of this story. And it should. I think that's so cool. <laughs> that they finally, you know, it took them 30 years. Yeah. But they finally were able to kind of get it. And it's such a good story. Even the one that's convoluted that I know is such a good story. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's the story. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I'm looking forward. And you know what I did? Because I even copied and pasted it a little bit differently. Normally, I'll say it was written by blah, blah, and here's the synopsis. And I did it differently because I wanted to whet your appetite (laughs) for what the story was about. And here it is, folks. Get ready. Uh, so it is set in 1910, the height of the Great Wave of Immigration, flooding into America from Eastern Europe. Five Jewish immigrants come over in steerage on the same boat. Rebecca Hershkowitz, fleeing a pogrom that destroyed her village, was basically Pogram. pogrom. Pogrom. It, uh, it. It. The definition that I looked up was like a de- uh, an organized massacre. This. What they're talking like about the right Holocaust. now, it was an ethnic cleansing. It wasn't the Holocaust because well, that was it, later. No, it
2: was this like the was Holocaust. Very I much mean, that's what the Holocaust because was. Because it was
1: all of the Jews in Russia. Yeah. The Russians were coming down on all of them and just killing them all left and right. And it really was an ethnic cleansing at that yeah. point. It was really disgusting. But so she gets away <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's come... With her young son, David, in hopes of being reunited with her husband, Nathan. Nathan has already been in America for several years, but he's not sent for them. So she just came, which I love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Avram Cohen and his teenage daughter, Bella, have come in search of a better life. And Ben Levitowitz, a brash young man who has fallen in love with Bella, has come to make his fortune in a land where the streets are said to be paved with gold. Mm-hmm. They are processed at Ellis Island with hordes of others, and Rebecca is not met by her husband. So she and David are given temporary shelter by Avram and Bella, uh, who she's made really good friends with during the course of this voyage. Mm -hmm. Um, Frightened and exhausted on their first night in the New World, they are nonetheless dazzled by the wonderful sights around them. Rebecca's search for Nathan seems hopeless but when she is most discouraged she remembers that she and David have gone what she and David have gone through to get to America and she gets a little more hopeful. The five immigrants go to work Rebecca in a sweatshop, Bella doing piecework at home, Ben in a cigar factory, and Avram and David peddling from a push cart. Their long hours and Brack-baking, back-breaking labor are leavened by the music of an itinerant klezmer band. Saul, (laughs) (laughs) Terrence Mann, (laughs) Uh, who is a fiery labor organizer, is trying to unionize the shop where Rebecca works. He and Rebecca don't see eye to eye about quote-unquote making trouble, but he does persuade her to educate herself and David. One night, after an exhilarating outing to see a performance of Hamlet at the Yiddish Theater, Rebecca finds to her distress that she is falling in love with Saul. In the meantime, Bella is becoming bitterly disillusioned and the dra- uh, with the drabness of her life in America. Although she is momentarily diverted when Ben brings her a new gramophone. Rusty, be quiet. Thank you. Although she's momentarily diverted when Ben brings her a new gramophone, she hurls her feelings of frustration at her father and runs off to gaze longingly at the high life of the Uptown Swells. In the title song, Rags, which is my favorite, <laughs> and because I think it's sung by Judy Kuhn, it's just so good. She liked. She's such a teenager. It's such a teenage moment where she's like, you know, how this is why we came to America to wear these rags. You know, this is why you uprooted me from a life that we knew. And and I was really, really good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So where did I leave off? Meanwhile, (laughs) at a local Irish pub, a meeting of Tammany politicians. I also looked this up. I
2: was like, what's Tammany?
1: Is underway. So Tammany, um, Politicians was a sect of the Democratic Party, Okay, but they were known for their corruption. That was basically what they were known for. They beat people up. They extorted. They blackmailed. Gangsters. Exactly. It's like the mafia. Mm -hmm. They were actually dismantled by federal um, (laughs) FDR, (laughs) Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And I'm not sure if it was while he was president or if it was before that, but I thought that was kind of neat as well. Um, that he kind of played a role in that. I have to tuck this up because <laughs> I just love you, dude. I can't with you. All right. Um, so there, the meeting is underway. And who should be among them but Rebecca's husband, Nathan. He has renamed himself Nat Harris and is working his way up in the local politics, doing dirty work for the corrupt Democratic machine. Oh, no. When he hears Rebecca and David are in America, he hurries off to look for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Rebecca and Saul are spending more and more time together, but when David puts Saul's fighting ideas into practice with a gang of local local oh
2: my God. hustlers,
1: local hustlers, I said local hudlums is what I was gonna it's say. It's
2: not even late today. This is like the I earliest know. we've been able to do in months. <laughs> I know it's true.
1: <laughs> so it's just my own brain. Um, local hoodlums. Hoodlums. Hi, buddy. What do you <laughs> want? So cute. You are- but I need that microphone Here uh, um, uh, So Saul was teaching Little David some fighting techniques And David put them Into practice and so basically Rebecca was like I can't have my son Doing this at all And it's, it's this isn't why we came to America We came to America to escape the violence So she breaks things off with Saul And just as she does Nathan arrives So what a wow. lucky coincidence now, that's the end of Act 1. <laughs> can
2: okay. you imagine? That's a lot. I know.
1: And this that's is like what I mean. Of
2: those, it's like a British television show. It is,
1: where you go from, like, one vignette to the next. But it's,
2: like, so much that happens in an hour and ten minutes. And yeah. you're like, holy crap. And it's
1: just a setup yeah. for what's going to happen in Act 2. It's right. really, I mean, it's so much. And it does sound very confusing. And also because some of the names are very similar, mm. like, that can get in the way sometimes, too. But... But the story is interesting. Anywho, so now here's act two. The family is celebrating their reunion at the Cherry Street Cafe where Nathan, ever the politician, works the room. But privately, he reveals to Rebecca his contempt for immigrants like themselves and his determination to assimilate. Although Rebecca tells Saul she can never see him again, their feelings for one another remain strong. Mm -hmm. Romance is also on the mind of Avram, who has become the choice of Rachel, a widow with strong opinions and an empty apartment. (laughs) That's really all you need, right? Um, Bella, uh, Avram's daughter, as we recall, the teenager, still has her hopes set on Ben, who, with David's help, is becoming successful with a gimmick to sell gramophones. Then tragedy strikes. No. Bella is it... killed. No! Bella is killed in a sweatshop fire.
2: That's terrible. No,
1: Rebecca is devastated and becomes radicalized, basically. And what isn't included in this particular synopsis that is in another synopsis that I wanted to include was... Rebecca is basically at a party with her husband, a political party with her husband Uh, when Saul or, well, it was when someone, I can't remember who, but when a friend of hers comes to see her and says, the sweatshop is on fire, Rebecca knows that Bella was working. So Mm -hmm. Rebecca tries to get out of the party and go and see if she can help Bella. And her husband basically said, "Um, no, you're going to stay right here with me. And she refuses and leaves, goes to the sweatshop and finds out that she's too late to save her friend. So not only are we discovering this kind of really sad, her friend is dead and the sweatshop is on fire and Mm -hmm. the working conditions were so bad, but also now we're finding out that her husband is... Not just a corrupt politician, but an absolute jerkwad. Oh dear. Yeah. It is like a soap opera. It really is. And it, I love the way that they kind of present it, too, because you never really know what each character... Like, at first, we're supposed to think that Saul is just a, you know, fly-by-night guy, kind of violent. He's going to play by his own yeah. rules, but then he's the guy that we really root for at the end. Nathan, who we want to be this upstanding man taking care of both Rebecca and David, turns out to be, you know... Right. The jerk. <laughs> um, and so... so Rebecca goes finds out uh that Bella has been killed and she becomes radicalized she leads a strike against the sweatshop conditions and she also defies Nathan who fears that his wife's radicalism will endanger his political career so Nathan leaves her and Rebecca remains with Saul and the strikers but I think that they're not together yet okay okay They've endured hardship, heartbreak, wrenching change, and the fairest of them has perished. But in the end, Rebecca, David, Avram, and Ben have begun to make a new life in their new world as another boatload of immigrants arrives. Including, I believe, in the earliest version of this show, which may be the Broadway version, um, Avram's other child who he had to leave behind when he and Bella came. So his son comes at the very end of the show is one of the new um, load of immigrants that has just come into America. So there is a happy ending because Rebecca ends up with Saul. David is fine. Bella is dead, but Avram is going to be greeting his other child. So there's hope at the end, which is really kind of nice. Not just kind of nice. It's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) So here are the awards that I was talking about, because there are several Tony Awards, as well as several Drama Desk Awards. Uh, Tony Awards, they were nominated for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical with Joseph Stein, Best Original Score of Charles Strauss and Stephen Schwartz, Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical, Teresa Stratus, Best Choreography, Ron Field. uh, And none of them won, but they were all nominated.
2: Oh, wow. Wait, so how many total was that?
1: One, two, three, four, five. Okay. In, uh, that would have been 1987. Okay. The Drama Desk Awards uh, that they were nominated for were Outstanding Featured Actress in a Musical of Judy Kuhn uh, and Marsha Lewis, who played Rachel. Mm-hmm. The Outstanding Orchestrations by Mark, Michael Star Robin, and Outstanding Music by Charles Strauss. And they won Outstanding Actress in a Musical of Teresa Stratus for the Drama Desk Awards. Wow, okay. So there's five more nominations and one win.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I'm going to flip over okay. to the book Not Since, Since Carrie <laughs> by Ken Mandelbaum. We've been so really taking advantage of this one. So appropriate
2: for uh, the backstory of um, <laughs> the woman who played Rebecca. I know,
1: <laughs> with Lulu. Yeah. <laughs> so, basically... Ken Mandelbaum starts this paragraph by saying that audience did tend to actually like rags.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of like that. I like that story.
1: I do too. Um, however, (laughs) probably for all it's muddle, there was lovely music, uh, and a story that while it may not have worked was still dealing with issues that couldn't help, but be moving as rags begins. Rebecca Hershkovitz, it's going to tell the
0: synopsis again, so let me flip to the bottom. There we go. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are
2: gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino,
1: with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: So, okay. Couldn't help but be moving. Rags, with a book by Joseph Stein and music by Charles Strauss, suffered from a combination of faulty producing and unfortunate circumstances. It was first seen in workshop at Theater 890 in 1984, and it was directed by its lyricist, Stephen Schwartz.
2: So, yeah.
1: I had no idea that he directed stuff, and I'm wondering if maybe this is the reason why he doesn't anymore. (laughs) Uh, This version had no stars, no central, no one central character. It was very much an ensemble. And actually, it reminds me of another show that Stephen Schwartz did called Working that you're going to be doing. Um, The version, uh, like I said, had no central character. And two years later, it went into production as a full scale Broadway show. Joan Micklin-Silver, who had written and directed the film Hester Street, about Jewish, also about Jewish immigrants on the Lower East Side, was hired to direct but was dismissed after about three weeks into rehearsal. Schwartz and Strauss took over unofficially. And rags opened in Boston with no director listed in the playbill. Have you ever heard of something like that happening? No. no. I could not find any dirt on why uh, why this woman had... Been let go, Joan Micklin Silver. I could find no information. So, for whatever the reason, I mean, there could just have been like a personality conflict. But I think it's really interesting that they just got rid of her and decided to just finish it on their own. Although he had done it before, so maybe he just. I'm so curious. I know. Me too. If,
2: le- if anybody's listening, want to know. Yeah, we don't want really yeah, to
1: know to like make it make fun of them. But like, I am super. Yeah,
2: because I. I haven't heard of... I mean, now I want to research and find out if there is another show that ha- yes. that happened where there was no director listed. I know.
1: Let us know if you know. That'd be cool to find out. Yeah. I didn't look that up, so maybe we would find some Google searches. Um, So, after that all happened, uh, when it opened in Boston with no director, blah, 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 to add to the trouble, Teresa Stratus... The tempestuous, cancellation-prone opera diva, who had been hired to make her Broadway debut as Rebecca, missed a week of performances in Boston, including the opening. (laughs) That would never go over in any of the shows I did. No, at all. No. I mean, like they would literally be like, "Look, I realize you're sick, but please be here opening night, and then you can you can unless you have a life-threatening." Right. Listen, the show must go on, people. No. <laughs> wow. But I there is such a difference between musical theater and opera in the state of mind of the performers. I feel like in even in straight theater, musical theater and straight theater, the idea is the show must go on, you just do it. You power through and you struggle and you just finish it and you do as best a show as you possibly can. There's
2: like a really with opera, great story with um Ann hmm the, she, she was in Cinderella and she, but she did, she was oh, doing, Anne Harada? yeah, Ann Harada, she was doing, um, oh shoot, that there's that, that, oh crap. Stepsisters there, Lament? No, it's a, it's a play where there's two married couples oh. and they have dinner together because one of them is accused of bullying the son. <laughs> Dag nabbit i don't um, know james gandolfini was in the movie version with um kate winslet oh goodness well anyway uh <laughs> we'll it find it yeah she was she they had gone they had had. it was a two-show day right she mm-hmm. said she tells a story on um Uh, now I can't even think of the podcast right now. I'm dying. I love that with Todd Bonapane. It's such a good podcast. He, yeah. Anyway, so she told this story at Broadway Con last year when Todd Bonapane brought his um, podcast. But yeah, she was like, it was a two-show day. She's like, I ate something that did not agree with me. God of Carnage. Yes. Okay. Uh, and she was so you know that like you're sweating I do
1: know I've, I've been there it's
2: so bad <laughs> but there's no understudy so she played a character who who threw up in the middle of the show and she was like it was perfect timing because she she actually vomited into, like, the bucket. Yeah. And then, oh. I mean, it was... It Can was, you imagine being on stage with yeah, that? Is like, v- is the bucket removed then after that, or did they all just have to sit in that well, smell? Well, there's, like, a bathroom. Oh, okay. So it's not real, obviously, but, like, the character's supposed to go into the bathroom after. <laughs> and, like, so... But she had to really try and clean herself up, and the other actors, like, they saw she was not feeling super well, mm-hmm. and they obviously realized she really had thrown up and it was supposed to be fake throw up but like uh, she didn't that is the think. worst yeah yeah it's i mean but that was that's dedication yeah that's what it's supposed to be i mean that's terrible but like that's what the show goes on <laughs> it's you true. get sick you still do it
1: you just get on the stage you do. but uh, Unless you're gonna opera, die, opera is different. Yeah. I mean, there are stories about women opera singers who will not perform the week of their periods because everything swells, including their vocal cords. And so, like, there—I <laughs> don't know if we should include that into the podcast, but yeah, they. I, I think it's I can too. Thing. It is menstruation. That's real. But I didn't know that made yeah. your vocal oh, cords swell. Everything. Yeah. It oh, really I mean, makes I a don't difference. mean, af- so I wouldn't know Yeah, but- yeah sure. Wow. Um but a lot of that stuff will make a difference. And so and because an opera singer all they use is their voice yeah. when they're in an opera, yeah. they have nothing else to fall back on. And also I feel like too with musical theater as long as you have the technique and the training, nothing is that difficult right. to really sing through. Right, right. But opera is different, and so they've got this kind of mindset that if anything goes wrong with the voce, I've got it. You know, I've I have to take off. Uh, and so apparently that was the case with Miss Teresa, uh, who. I'm just going to repeat this again. Miss the first week of performances in Boston including the opening. It's
2: crazy. <laughs> Giving
1: rags the distinction of being perhaps the only show to be reviewed on the road with a standby. Yeah. Christine Andreas, who was in Scarlet Pimpernel with Terrence Mann <laughs> later on. <laughs> Um, Stratus was worth waiting for. However, the five foot mm. powerhouse gave a luminous star performance and, uh, and sang incomparably in what is likely to remain her only Broadway musical near the end of the tryout. Gene Sachs, who was the director then at that point, I guess, because he's listed as the director on Wikipedia. So I'm not sure oh, when so for
2: the Broadway run, I guess, okay. but,
1: uh, it wouldn't have been until after Boston though, because they didn't have a director listed until that point until, okay. So, maybe he'll actually mention uh, Gene. Sa- oh, <laughs> well, I get this so ahead of myself. It's the answer. next sentence. So, near the end of the tryout, Gene Sachs agreed to take over the direction. <laughs> and Ron Field uh, replaced Ken Rinker as choreographer. Sachs had directed the Robert Preston vehicle, The Prince of Grand Street, which was set in the same time, place, and milieu. <laughs>
2: I never know what that word
1: means, but I say it with a French accent, because why not? Uh, And Rags' spoof of Yiddish theater was reminiscent of those in the earlier musical. Meanwhile, Jay Press and Allen did uncredited book rewrites. The New York reviews were largely negative, with scattered praise for the score and Stratus. Uh, It was late August, and Rags had only a small advance sale. It's the kiss of death, summertime openings. Yep. After the third.
2: Unless you're Hamilton. Right.
1: (laughs) After the third official performance, a Saturday matinee, the cast marched down Broadway from Hellinger Theater to Duffy Square in an attempt to halt the closing announced for that night. But the fourth performance was the last. The closing announcement stated that the show would reopen in a few weeks, but this was no more than the usual wishful thinking. Rags lost five and a half million dollars.
2: What? It, I okay. So we got to find out what the inflation is for that, <laughs> because big was t- ten. Leap of faith was like twelve. Okay. Maybe I'm big Googling was eighteen. It now. One of the shows was like $18 million okay. that we've done. So I wonder what $5 million in what year was that again? $86 million? Uh, yeah. yeah. $5 million in 86. Because it doesn't seem like that was the norm for, for prices in terms of how much a show cost back then.
1: Yeah. So let me, I'm putting it into the inflation calculator right now. Five point five can I just put million? <laughs> no, I have to count out the zeros. Okay, so five five You
2: can't go up there. Holy jeez. Zero zero what
1: zero zero zero, zero zero zero. Five hundred and five do? million five hundred thousand No, that's too many zeros. Wait, I think that is how many zeros it is?
2: <laughs>
1: A million is six zeros, mm-hmm. right? So one, two, three, four, five, six. So it's six. a
2: total of seven, seven, um,
1: seven. Yeah. Okay. Figures. In August of
2: nineteen eighty-six,
1: in today's money is twelve million five hundred eleven thousand eight hundred twenty-three dollars yeah. and fifteen cents. That's. It's a lot. That's a lot of money. Yeah, in a sense. Rags can be seen as the sequel to another Joseph Stein musical, Fiddler on the Roof, showing what happened to the immigrants when they arrived in America. That is such a good point. I didn't even put that together until yeah. I just read that again. Yeah. Uh, because at the end of Fiddler on the Roof, they were kicking all the Jews That's out what, of Anatevka. Yeah, yeah.
2: I thought about that as soon as you started with the beginning. Of yeah. That I thought about the end of Anatevka. Well, it's because it's not violent. I mean, they just—I the mean, roof.
1: it was slightly violent, but you know, the, the Anatevkins just decide to go ahead and go. Right. Whereas in this case, her village was basically decimated. So um, I, didn't, I didn't put it together until it was just basically written out for me. <laughs> um, but unlike Fiddler, Rags was an original, not based on any source material, and therein lay the problem. Stein's book was a muddle. Uh, with too many characters and subplots that couldn't be fully developed. Bella was given the most dramatic number of The Evening, the title song of Rags, which I just talked about Mm -hmm. earlier, what I loved. (laughs) But her character was merely sketched in and not strong enough to merit such an outburst. Rebecca was never given a personality or much individuality. She was the symbol of all immigrant women rather than an actual person. I will agree with that. Okay all of the music that she sings is all very homogenous not not homogenous it it's very two dimensional mm-hmm. it nothing really speaks to who she is as a person as a woman whatever <laughs> you guys are getting just the wonderful uh, sounds of the of the night with the breathing heavy in <laughs> Ebony's microphone. It may actually not pick it up very well, okay. but I will mention it just in case you hear panting. Yeah. That is not Ebony. No, that is the little poodle Ralph, who requires that all hands are on him at all
2: times, yeah. <laughs> and he's determined to get up on this on our computer and all he our just wires. He wants it. He wants it. And I'm I'm refusing. <laughs>
1: Um, Rebecca's husband, Nathan, within the story, particularly as played by Larry Kurt, was also made very unsympathetic and unlikable. Nathan might have been made a sweet dupe drawn into Tammany Hall through a desire to better his family, but instead he was a heavy, and the audience was not happy when he turned up at the end of Act One. Indeed, Rags dealt almost exclusively with the dark side of the immigrant experience.
0: Oh. <laughs>
2: Hey, Ralph, I need you to stop. Come here. I'm
1: going to pull your tail. Stop. Thank you. Just cool it. Indeed, Rags dealt almost exclusively with the dark side of the immigrant experience. If it was only trying to tell the truth, that truth allowed for very few moments of joy. There were other flaws as well. The two white suited Americans who sang the opening number greenhorns were set up as ironic commentators at the beginning, but didn't appear again until the finale. The final sequence in which Rebecca leads the sweatshop rebellion was awkwardly motivated, abrupt, and hard to believe. Uh, And Benny Montresor's spare skeletal sets were a mistake. I'm not sure if I said his name right. That was why I was a little halting there. Um they're, uh, they were just too bare, apparently. Rags would have benefited from realistic scenery. The show's biggest problem may simply have been the lack of a strong directorial hand from the start. Sachs clarified certain aspects of the show without really solving any of the problems. Strauss later said, He cleaned up the loose ends of the plot, but in cutting down and explaining things, he may have taken away some of the show's charm. Rags called into question the ability of Broadway pros like Stein, Schwartz, and Strauss to put together a successful show. Surely there was a, a wonderful musical in the story of immigrants taking their first steps in America, but these talents were unable to find it or bring it out clearly. It was Strauss's fifth consecutive flop, and Stein Aww. and Schwartz's most recent musicals had also been flops.
2: Makes me so sad. I know, me
1: too, poor Grandpa Strauss. But Rags has had several productions since its Broadway demise, and that's because for all of its problems, it is hard to dismiss. Mm -hmm. Stein's book does at least contain some effective scenes and good moments. And Rags features Strauss's most ambiguous score, most of which is quite wonderful. I will agree with that wholeheartedly. Rebecca has the gorgeous ballad, blame it on the summer night and the moving children of the wind. The title song is stunning and there is impressive use made of extended musical sequences, such as the one in which Rebecca and David learn from Saul revisions. uh, Some of which restore material from the tryout has been made for the post Broadway productions of rags. And one hopes that further work will be done. And who knows? I mean, they just did some revision on the 2017 version
2: Maybe they'll do a um, city center.
1: That'd be cool. Yeah. Encore. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Even as it is, uh, rags may very well satisfy audiences in stock and regional productions. It's one of the rare flops that can find a million things wrong with it, yet still enjoy. Yeah. I love that. And there you go. <laughs> Ralph is sorry to say goodbye. <laughs> <I> <laughs> uh, that
2: about
1: it. I'm sorry, guys. You're going to hear a lot of whining in this episode. Yeah. And, and this time it's not going to be from us. <laughs> but that's rags.
2: That's rags. I I hope I hope City Center or the York or somebody mm-hmm. does a reading or something of it in the city. soon.
1: Well, and like Goodspeed just did this amazing... Production. Rendition. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe that can be a springboard back to Broadway. Right, do a right. revival. I think that'd be really awesome. Yeah. Especially in light of of the immigrant situation yeah. that's happening currently. I yeah. think that would be a really remarkable, it really would be. gap to bri- or bridge of that gap.
2: <laughs> and then Ellis Island's, um, you know, trying working on the rag yeah. So cool. Would be cool. It would be. Cool. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> so there you go. All right, guys, thank you for joining us Thanks this week. Thank you for listening. And again, like, if you know any, if you can think off the top of your head of any other shows that didn't have a director in the tryout. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to look this up because I'm, shh. <laughs> uh, be, I'm going to look this up because it's real <laughs> fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, if you just know off the top and you want to tweet at us or Facebook us. And then also, um, we'd let, oh, crap, what was the second thing? It was that and then... Oh, you know what? I just
1: found. What? So we're not going to finish yet. Okay. So this is an article that I just found literally just as we were talking because I put in a different word, uh, category, like different wording than I had been using when I was researching this before. Yeah. So I put into Google, Joan Micklin Silver, who was the original director that they had let go. Uh-huh fired from rags. That's what I put into ooh. Google. I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. And it came up with this article <coughs> called how the curtain came down on the dream of dream of rags ooh, ooh, uh, in the New York times. So I'm going to skip to the bottom here. Cause this is where Joan is mentioned. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Nearly two years elapsed between the workshop of rags at Michael Bennett studio and the first rehearsals for the show. During this time, Mr. Stein and the producers decided the story needed a focus. Eventually, he came up with the tale of Rebecca Hershkovitz, who emigrates from Russia to the Lower East Side. Is it emigrate or immigrate? If it's, do uh, they immigrate to America and yeah. emigrate to another country?
2: Uh, so, I- immigrate is when they're coming in, right? And emigrate oh, is, is when, when they're, they're leaving. leaving.
1: Okay, so that is correct usage yeah. of that terminology. Yeah. <laughs> I was just so confused for a second.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: who emigrates from Russia to the Lower East Side in 1910, expecting to join her husband. After much discussion of who should play the role, Mr. Strauss suggested Teresa Stratus, who signed a contract that provided her with a weekly guarantee. Are you ready for this? Let me get out my inflation calculator again. I know, he's being ridiculous. It's almost over.
2: is I can't help you I'm petting you you are on my lap that is what I can do <laughs> that is all I can do
1: 25 okay oh my gosh are okay. you ready for this okay tell me <laughs> Mr. Strauss suggested Teresa Stratus, who signed a contract that provided her with a weekly guarantee of $25,000 and 3, 3% of the show's profit, net profits. $25,000 a week? Roughly a week, roughly equates to $56,871 today. A week? A week. No. But she was missing whole weeks. A week? Yes. I'm telling you. (laughs) During the same period, Joan Micklin Silver, who wrote and directed Hester Street, the acclaimed movie about Lower East Side immigrants and co-directed the hit off-Broadway musical A My Name is Alice, was signed to make her Broadway directorial debut with Rags. But after about six months and shortly before tryout performances began at the Schubert Theater in Boston, she was dismissed. Joan was invaluable as a writer, Mr. Goober explained, but she had no experience in the basic mechanics of moving people back and forth on stage in a Broadway show. It all ended in high drama. The problem wasn't the size of the stage, Mrs. Silver responded, since I had directed large scenes with many characters before. The original goal had been to make a musical drama, but the producers and the creative team lost confidence in the nature of the material and fell back on the traditions of musical comedy. Oh wow so that
2: is a little bit Because this is not a comedy. No. <laughs> so there you go.
1: She wanted it to make it real. They said that she wasn't succeeding i so mean that I'm basically like, is what, what it comes down to
2: okay so she said she didn't want to make it a musical comedy no No. they said she's a great writer mm-hmm.
1: but she doesn't have the experience that it takes to move people across the stage yeah. in a broadway show okay uh, or like this the the stage was too big for her then she comes back and says it wasn't the size of the stage Since I had already directed large scenes with many characters before. She says the original goal had been to make a musical drama, but the producers and the creative team lost confidence in the nature of the material and they fell back on the tradition of musical comedy. Right. So it wasn't that they were trying to make it a joke, but they were playing it safe. Yeah. They didn't want the audience to hate it because it was a musical drama. They wanted audiences to still like it, Even if it meant compromising the story.
2: Okay, so this is 87, right? 86. 86, okay, so. So. I don't. They're acting like this is the first musical drama.
1: (laughs) Well, let's see what was happening in 86 on Broadway.
2: Because I'm thinking in this... Like even in the seventies, like I wouldn't mm-hmm. call a, cor- a chorus line a comedy.
1: No, right? But it was. They still had jokes. They still had right. light moments.
2: Which I mean, I'm sure Rags well, there have to too, be because yeah, that's life,
1: of course.
2: I mean, S- Sweeney Todd is fun. It has. It's funny, but it. I. I wouldn't. I can't classify Sweeney Todd as a comedy either. Well.
1: I mean I can only it's a dark comedy. Dark comedy. Because it is funny. I mean it, right, you it's leave, really funny. you laugh. There are moments where you, you do. laugh. You Priest. Oh my gosh, so
2: funny. The <laughs> little priest. Uh
1: all right. So here are the 1986 Broadway you, shows. Let look, me bring this you up.
2: You stop getting on the table. It's oh god. If you were just on my lap, it would be so it would be fine. But you just
1: So what Not was... balls puddle. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh nineteen eighty-six. What was playing on Broadway at the time? Uh, and this is musicals and plays. Okay. All kind of listed together. A little like magic, arsenic and old lace, as you like it, big deal, Broadway bound, a musical called Corpse! Exclamation <laughs> point! Which we should look into. <laughs> <laughs> Costello stings again. Cuba and his teddy bear. I mean, I don't know what. Um, here we go. Like honky tonk nights. That was up there. Jerome Kern goes to Hollywood. Jackie Mason's "The World According to Me." Long Day's Journey into Night was Macbeth. "Me and My Girl" was a musical that was playing at the time. Oh, powered
2: at TV Center in mm-hmm. a few weeks.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I, I knew that. Uh, Raggedy Ann. That was the year that that was up. Mm-hmm. Rags, obviously. Um, Romeo and Juliet. Rowan Atkinson at the Atkinson. So I, I mean, like they did have a lot of. Um, sweet charity. I'm just trying to find the musicals because well, it looks like the plays were all dramas, right? But the musicals were all, you know, me and my girl, sweet charity. Those are those are upbeat
2: and fun and right. But I, I mean, from from '86 to before '86. Mm-hmm. So I, let's look back at '85 because I'm like I feel like that it, it, there's there's no way this, I know that this is not the first musical drama, so I I guess right. I don't understand because I, I did a rant this week on Twitter because I I got really excited about Hades Town mm-hmm. is coming to Broadway, and I was like, oh, Big River was the year before, so then so there's a drama, right? Like why? Why, why mm-hmm. the fear? like, why not just do it right? You know what?
1: It's interesting that they that Ken Mandelbaum mentioned that Strauss had so many failures up to that point. Mm-hmm. I think he said it was a string of six when rags came into play. Yeah, maybe it was just that
2: yeah, he
1: was fe- scared. He was afeard. he was a he was a <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, I think the terminology that Ken used in Not Since Carrie was that yeah. they lost confidence right. in using us, in, in using a new, uh, or in, in, in directing it in a new way, or in thinking of it in terms of a new way. So, and I get that. You know what I mean? It's like, sometimes, sometimes you make a choice and that choice makes you fall flat on your face. Right. And if he's already done that five times now mm-hmm. and this is the sixth time maybe that it maybe that did color right his ideas for yeah. rags i mean the good news is that it's not going anywhere and it's only getting better right. with each rendition and he,
2: and he didn't quit i mean he. oh yeah uh late 80s and he's still writing he's still at it
1: yeah <laughs> yeah It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I found that little tidbit right there. That that was very interesting. So mental note for me next time, (laughs) be super specific when I'm Google searching. So weird. (laughs) I just put in her name before and I couldn't find anything except for like IMDB stuff. And she's got a million credits. Okay. But. I, all you had to do was write was fired from rags and that's what came up. So that's a that was an article from the New York Times from 1986. You guys can look up and read the entire thing. I just read the like the last two right. paragraphs or something like that, but it's interesting. I would definitely recommend if you don't already getting the cast recording. It's just so good. It really is good.
2: It's on Spotify. I haven't looked. I don't know. But guys search maybe it's on spotify yeah spotify is like a wealth of yeah I mean it's been so helpful for it's for me, true for this podcast when
1: I was trying to learn the music from bloody bloody Andrew Jackson mm-hmm. spotify was the only place I could find it without oh, wow. having to like get a cd right, right. Like, I don't have a cd player anymore <laughs> <laughs> they don't even make them in laptops anymore right. or at least in my mac
2: yeah no they don't yeah so there you go yeah. well <laughs> Thanks for hanging in there. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we hope you check out Rags. That's why we do this show, so you can learn about
1: shows you don't totally. know about, so that you're interested and you maybe want to do some more research on your own.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. Bye.
1: Enjoy the nice weather. Bye. <laughs>